0: Might be in the long haul for this one. Just go ahead and hunker down. Yeah, hunker down. If you're driving, buckle that seatbelt. Make sure you have enough gas in the tank because, <laughs> uh, no, I'm kidding. Um, anyways, we, we, I think we've got a great show ahead of us. Uh, we want to thank you for joining in. Uh, we're the Reformed Informants. This is a podcast devoted to biblical exposition, systematic theology, and practical application for the good of the church. I'm Lance Burroughs along with TJ Darty, and we're the Reformed Informants. Are, are, you, are you Are you ready for this?
1: Man, I'm pumped up. We're f- we're finally finishing the bibliology series, right? Yeah, Is we're going to
0: uh, th- we're going to attempt to wrap things up in bibliology uh with part 4 of the bibliology series, uh canon of scripture. The okay. canon
1: of scripture. A whole episode <sighs> on the canon oh, of scripture.
0: Uh, yeah. I mean, just thinking about starting this, uh I don't know. Yeah. Well it may be a part 5 yeah, which would be part 2 of this I don't know I had to try
1: to talk Lance down when we got going into this thing. Usually I'm the one that's uh that's on edge. I, I get all <laughs> amped up but uh this one this one Lance's Lance this is a dangerous combination so we'll see what happens here. Yeah. Biblical yeah. canon. The canon of scripture.
0: Okay, so Hey w- w-
1: why are we doing an episode on this? I was, I was about to ask you that, I know, TJ. that's why I cut you off, because I don't, don't want to answer that. I want you to. Why are it, we doing an episode? Yeah, why
0: an episode on the canon of Scripture? Well, because uh, that question comes up all the time. How do we know that the books in the Bible should be the books in the Bible? And mm-hmm. How do we know if they're the right books? And why aren't these other books, these other texts that were written, you know, some of them, Around biblical times, why wouldn't we include those books into the canon of scripture? And w- when we're talking about canon, that word canon is basically uh, it means a, a measurement. Yeah, it's um, it's uh, biblical terminology. Any systematic theology you come across, you're going to find canon of scripture. So we're talking about a measurement of scripture. What will we include in scripture?
1: Yeah, it's it's a, a The word canon actually is a transliteration, which means it's just a, it's copied over from another language and it comes from the Greek word that is equivalent to canon. And it has this idea of being a, normally, um, originally it was equated with being a straight rod. A rod or reed, yeah. Yes, and so over the course of time, that reed, um, or rod, because it is straight, it becomes a way to measure or to rule or to compare or serves as a standard okay. right for other things. Yeah. And so it became attached to the idea of Scripture because Scripture is a rule or a standard. It is a straight um, rod that guides and, and can be um, used as c- comparison to other um, thoughts and documents and things of that. Yeah. Right. So we're
0: talking about the measurement of Scripture. Right. Um, what would we consider the closed canon of Mm -hmm. of scripture in Mm -hmm. other words we have 66 books 39 in the old 27 in the new we would say that that is the canon of scripture should that be the canon of scripture is it only those books or should we uh, should we add another one right And, and could we do that should we do that are there warnings against doing that
1: yeah, and, and by the way, we, we have done this little mini-series on bibliology. Think about the things that we've talked about. We've talked about revelation and inspiration and inerrancy and authority and sufficiency. Um, to to speak of the canon is to say all of those things apply to these 66 books and to these 66 books alone, right? Like yeah, absolutely. Like these are the only ones in which God has revealed himself. These are the only ones in where God has inspired writing, and all of them are included in that, like all all of the collected whole of Scripture is inspired. It's all inerrant. It's all authoritative. It's all sufficient. And there is nothing else that fits into those. These are distinct, right?
0: Yeah, bibliology does not step outside of what is written, Genesis to Revelation. There, there is no the Bible plus or the Bible and right. in bibliology. It's only the Bible. So, I mean, this is a this is a major issue that we're trying to tackle and cover here in a limited amount of time. Uh, So let's kind of work our way through, um, at least uh, as a starting point, this idea of documents and the idea of documents circulating. Do we have a pattern of that uh, going on in Scripture?
1: Yeah. um, So what what does the process of canonization look like? You know, we think about, and, and by the way, when we speak of canonization, um, this process of building the biblical canon, predominantly the scholarship um, and research is going to be related to the process in formulating the New Testament, Um, right? Like the the New Testament is uh, combined with the Old Testament, Um, but the focus is going to be on the New Testament because that is where the collected whole of the Bible is all finally put together. Um, And so this process of canonization Lance does this take place like one two months after Christ like what is it did everybody meet together at the Jerusalem council and say hey um while we're here addressing the issue um related to Jews and Gentiles why don't we go ahead and just knock out and say which books are in the Bible and which ones aren't and just kind of put a nail in that like uh, like like when did this happen? How does this happen? Yeah,
0: I, w- I mean, I would say at least the example that you gave is probably the common train of thought to how the Bible was collected or came or came together. In other words, you know, there were a dozen, a couple dozen people that were sitting around a table at a church council, and they said, "Yep, this is in. This one's out." And just because they said this one's in, this one's right. out, is how the canon of Scripture uh, was established. We we. We want to reject that. Right. Uh, that, that But that's
1: probably the common thought. It is. That, right? Like people just kind of assume that there were a handful of white men that sat in a room, right, right? and probably put these things together, and it's they a, made
0: the decision. That's a misrepresentation okay. of Reformed I, theology. That's, that's right. a misrepresentation of any systematic theology. But that's just a misrepresentation of Christianity and the Bible, generally speaking. Um, so if we want to talk about the canon of Scripture— Let's go ahead and work our way back to the Old Testament. Okay. okay. And um us let, let, let's, let's establish um where the canon came from in the Old Testament, and then we can progress I think to that's the good. close of the Old Testament, how Jesus and the apostles maybe viewed it, and then uh, work into the New Testament and yeah. the New Testament canon.
1: I think that's yeah, I think that's a good approach. So let let's think about the Old Testament what, How did we get the Old Testament As we have it today um, Where did this process begin um, Of recording And writing down The word of God As we, we said before Remember this is what you know. This is inspiration This is the revelation of God being um, Documented in written form Well you can go all the way back The first instance Where we see this take place Is actually from God himself um, we, we referenced this in another episode, but in Exodus 31, um, the Ten Commandments written by God with, Exodus 31:18 uses the phrase, written with the finger of God. So these are the, the commandments of God written on tablets of stone, and you begin to see that God is going to document and write down the um, divine revelation so that it can be preserved and carried about.
0: Yeah, I would absolutely agree with that. We, we've got God who is the orchestrator of the first writing yes. of the scripture. God has revealed himself in words previously that, that have been um, passed down through oral tradition. Yes, yes. But now when we move into Moses and the Exodus, we have... God calling Moses up on Mount Sinai. Um, Exodus chapter uh, 19 is where you will find that account. Um, Which, by the way, in that account, God says, do not touch the mountain. Do not let any animal touch the mountain. If so, that man shall die and that animal shall also die. So that command was given to the nation. But then in the midst of all of that, three days after God had laid out the ground rules... God calls Moses up Mm. on Mount Sinai in front of the nation of Israel. Scholars estimate conservatively there were 2 million people that were at the foot of Mount Sinai, all witnessing Moses go up. Mm. Thunderings, lightning, the mountain is quaking. People are terrified. I mean, people are absolutely terrified, so much so in Exodus chapter 20 after this event takes place the people are begging moses to do all of the talking because they are terrified if god will talk to them if god talks to them audibly that's right so anyways i say all that to say moses goes up on mount sinai
1: that what you're saying that was free that was <laughs> yeah, yeah that that one was free okay
0: that that one was for free okay moses so, goes up on moses sinai. goes up on mount sinai god authorizes him in front of 2 million people as witnesses to mm-hmm. this actual event mm-hmm. that's where he gets the 10 commandments written with the finger of god which you had You know, just stated from Exodus chapter 31, that starts this idea of God documenting his words on um, a hard copy, essentially.
1: And so, and think about this, he comes down, um, he has these tablets of stone. Of course, we know that he comes down into a situation where there's idolatry and rebellion and the people have done the exact opposite of what they're supposed to do. Moses gets mad and he breaks the tablets of stone. Can you imagine, like you've just got from the from the hand of God <laughs> and you're holding the first ever documented written form? Yeah, pretty significant piece <laughs> of material there. <laughs> and he just throws them and breaks them. So God has to do it again. He writes another, uh, th- another makes another copy, gives them to Talk Moses. Talking about grace. Absolutely. That's a great grace. picture of God's grace there. Um, and, and these tablets... Of stone are actually placed in the Ark of the Covenant, right? Like they are carried around. With, so, so not only is it in written form, but it's carried with the people of Israel, right? Like they are preserving and they are using that and guiding, um, guiding their thought, their their worship of God um, as they travel about in the wilderness. Yeah, right. The it, it words of God. Them. That's right.
0: Documented. They they knew what they had, even in yes. the midst of their sin and rebellion. There was an understanding that what Moses brought down were the words of the one true God.
1: right. And so then you you the process has now begun. The ball has started to roll, and you start to have um, more, Recording and um, writing down of God's promises and God's covenant. So, so Moses is um, the author of what we would call the Pentateuch or the Torah, right? The first five books of the Old Testament, and Moses kind of supplements the Ten Commandments by saying this is the account of how we got to where we got. And this is recounting God's work in history. This is recounting God's promises with Abraham, with Isaac, with Jacob, with the nation of Israel. This is God, uh, this is recounting God moving in a dramatic and historical way through the Exodus and is so that they might remember, right? Like they, in an oral tradition where these stories are being told, it began to become documented to preserve it, right? Like if you have a written form, you can't deviate. The story can't change um, when you have a standard or a rule or a rod, as we would call it, the, the canon, right, that maintains the integrity of those biblical accounts.
0: Right, so as Moses is doing this, he is under the inspiration of the,
1: Holy of the Holy
0: Spirit. Yeah, he's under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So as he is uh, writing um, Genesis through uh, Deuteronomy, um, yeah, did I get the order right on that?
1: Genesis Deuteronomy. Yeah, yeah. Genesis yeah. Deuteronomy. Okay, yeah. I
0: was I was, was flip flopping yeah. numbers in Deuteronomy there for a second. No, yeah, I so, would have corrected you. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> as uh as, as he's as he's writing those books, e- again he he is he he is being moving along by, by by the Spirit of God. Now, you mentioned this before we move on to the uh, rest of uh, the Old Testament canon here. Moses in Deuteronomy 18, remember, he lays out um, a prophecy essentially about a forthcoming the prophets, prophets right, right. that would culminate in Jesus Christ, That's but right. in that prophecy Moses is saying look, I uh, I'm not eternal I'm going to die at mm-hmm. some point but there will be men that come after me that will speak the words of God that's right ultimately culminating in the Lord Jesus Christ
1: yes yes and God uh, these words that Moses writes in Deuteronomy 18 as you mentioned um, it, Moses is is foretelling of a a line of prophets, whereby God and, and God uses the God words, a line of prophets. That's that what, it's, is true. That is it. That it's, is true. It's a line that leads to Christ, right? But 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 God says, "I will raise up for you a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth." Well, these other prophets, this line of prophets leading to Christ. um, They will embody that They serve as types As partial fulfillments to that To connect Moses to Jesus And to show that Jesus is indeed The fulfillment of this prophecy And so these other prophets Are speaking forth the word of God We've spoken of that as uh, The revelation of God in the Old Testament That um, prior to the written revelation There was the oral proclamation Right of God's word When the, the, the 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 word of the Lord came to me, uh, Ezekiel would say. Um, these are the words of the Lord, the prophets would say. And and so now, as they proclaim this message, they write it down so that it would be preserved and recorded for future generations. Uh, we've seen Paul say, that's for our benefit, that these right. things were written down. Right. So yeah. And the
0: New, the New Testament affirms this line of prophets or the succession of prophets. Um because all throughout the New Testament, it's called the law and the prophets, yes. right? Or yes. the, the, the prophets and what they wrote. Um, even Second Peter chapter 1 that we talked about, holy men of God um, moved along. Um, that, that verse is talking about uh, these prophets being moved along by the Holy Spirit. Um, right. So if I'm living during biblical times and um, I have someone that comes on the scene that claims to be a prophet... Uh, So what would be some ways or criteria or was there any way to differentiate between uh, a holy man of God, a true prophet and a false prophet? I mean, what would the people do? Like if I came on the scene after Moses and was like, look, I've got revelation from God.
1: Mm -hmm. Which that happened.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, was there a test? How would they know what? I mean, what would we do in that situation, I yeah. guess? Yeah, are
1: you thinking of Deuteronomy 13, perhaps? I right? am thinking yeah, I of Deuteronomy you, 13. I, yeah. I thought you might have been, but like, there, so there's a, a test whereby the people, and God actually says, um, this is from Deuteronomy 13, uh, if a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign of the wonder that he tells you comes to pass, and he says, let us go after other gods that you have not known and let us serve them, God says, you shall not listen to the words of that prophet, for your the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Uh, essentially, right? what we see here is that any of these prophets, or any of these false prophets, I should say, who spoke a word or who had a um, claim of a dream or a vision or a revelation, if it in any way conflicts with Previously recorded scripture, uh, previously proclaimed word of God, or anything that leads Israel away from the one true God, Yahweh Himself. Anything that in any way pulls them away from that, it is to be rejected. Okay. Right? Yeah, that's so good.
0: So, yeah, so one criteria would be the message that they preach or the message okay. that they speak. It always leads back to the one true God. Yes. Okay. And I, I would add to that that prophets that would come after moses their message would always line up with moses's message in other words there wasn't a contradictory message that the prophets were teaching
1: and of course this is as we've said before in systematic theology this is to be expected same holy spirit inspiring these different men right to record the words of god same spirit same consistency the, the word of God must be cohesive because there is one single divine author in right. that sense, right? Like like the spirit of God cannot contradict himself because God cannot contradict himself. Right. It's contrary, as we've said before, to the nature of God, right? Right? Like scripture reflects who God is.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I, I would add another criteria back in Deuteronomy 18 uh, coming from that same text. Deuteronomy uh, 13? Or well, you read Deuteronomy 13. Oh, sorry. Deuteronomy 18, the okay. one that you said previously. Um, it talks about a prophet's predictions, Mm. that a prophet's predictions will always come true. Now, we're we're talking about 100% accuracy uh, in their predictions. Right. And we are saying that if a prophet was to predict 100 prophecies and 99 of the 100 came true, according to Deuteronomy 18, they wouldn't be a true prophet. If the prophet is really speaking the words of God, this divine God, then they will always be accurate in their representation of what prophecies they are giving. Right. So right. the people of God would be able to test the prophets in this manner. Were they predicting things accurately? Did those things actually come to pass? Yeah. And were they actually teaching with what the Bible or with what Moses had already said? Yeah, it was a checks and balances. Yes,
1: and I think that uh, on that note you have these prophecies. These prophecies, though, are not vague, um, just kind of like anything could kind of be interpreted. It would be like if I said that I was making a prediction on who was going to win the Super Bowl next year, and I just said, you know, a team from the South or a team, you know, their mascot will have wings, or, you know, like, okay, that's not very specific. But if I name the starting quarterback for the Super Bowl-winning team 300 years from now and another Uh, Continent. That's a very specific prophecy. That's what we see, by the way, in the messianic prophecies of the Old Testament. With Isaiah, he's giving very specific, detailed proclamations that only can come from from God, right? And that's the only way that we can verify that they have indeed been um, uh, that they should indeed be inscripturated because they have come from God,
0: right? Right? Yeah. I think there's probably another couple. points or criteria that we could add to you know identifying a a a true prophet um but as we're wrapping up the old testament we have prophets recording the word of god well why why those books well How, how how do we answer that
1: yeah so when you think about what's happened as the progressively god has been revealing himself and he is predominantly chosen to do that through the people of israel and he begins like we mentioned with the tablets and then it um, extends to moses um, with the torah and then the successive prophets and and other historical books that are written down but each of these recordings each of these documents um, was clearly understood to be the divinely inspired word of god Right, like they were
0: immediately accepted.
1: Always, and there was consensus among God's people. Um, we mentioned before about the um, willingness of of the Jewish community to die, right, for the preservation of the Word of God. Like it was, it's their entire their entire religious understanding came from God revealing Himself by way of the prophets. Right, like that's what a prophet yeah. does. The prophet speaks to the people on behalf of God. Uh, while the priest speaks to God on behalf of the people, like the, the prophet does this. And so these things have been recorded. These books have been written down so that we might um, have a collection of God's promises, God's faithfulness, God's covenants um, so that they could long for his fulfillment of those things. Yeah.
0: That makes me think of Nehemiah chapter eight, when the people are crying out to Ezra, bring us the book, Hmm. bring us the book. And, the book is brought and Ezra takes that book and he preaches and he teaches and explains and exhorts the, the people that they, they were demanding yes. the, the, the words of God and he he delivered.
1: That's right. By just explaining the words of God. Well, and so on that note, think about, think about how the old Testament ends, right? Like you get to the end of the old Testament and something happens. There's a, a period, like you can see a progressive um, God throughout history has been speaking to his people. He, he's been raising up prophets. He has been He raised up judges. He raised up kings. He raised up prophets. He had these men um, who helped uh, speak to the people on behalf of God himself. But then something happens, and there's a gap, right, in time. Like you get to the end of the Old Testament. You roll into Malachi. You get to chapter 4, and... Now there's nothing. Yeah, it's there's commonly
0: called the 400 silent years. Is there you what go. you're talking about? That's, yeah,
1: I didn't know what it was commonly okay. <laughs> called. I was looking at you like a deer in headlights there, like you were uh, setting me up. Yeah, I, <laughs> well, the, four, the 400 yeah. silent years, and, right.
0: and this is a big deal when we're talking about canon of Scripture because if you look in some of the apocryphal texts, like 2 Maccabees, those texts that were written during the 400 silent years reveal to us that the nation was waiting on a yes. prophet to mm-hmm. tell them
1: what to do next there there yes there's a there's a longing. That's why it made me think of that when you spoke of Nehemiah 8. There's a longing for the people of God to hear from God. Like, that's why there's such an anticipation when Jesus comes on the scene. Yeah. Right? Like there's the, there are these 400 years of silence, and these people, the, the Jewish people, are longing to hear from God. They want to know. And that's why you mentioned these other talk these other documents these other texts they speak to the fact that the people want to hear from god like they want to hear something and so they're writing and they're recording but these texts are different from the others why like you we you mentioned this this word apocryphal right like what do you mean when you talk about the apocrypha what is it help me understand right well
0: you've you've mentioned and you've kind of put a timeline together talking about the the final chapters of the prophet Malachi and what he wrote and then there's this gap of about 400 430 years I think before uh, John the Baptist mm-hmm. birth announcement and mm-hmm. the Christ birth announcement so you, you have this gap of time where God is not revealing himself in a special way now he mm-hmm. is generally general of course right?
1: and he has still he has revealed himself so they have they have the promises, they Absolutely. have the, the words of God, but there is no new revelation right. coming, right? No yeah. s- new special revelation.
0: Yeah, so the, the this 400-year period, there aren't any prophets. God isn't revealing himself through prophets. There isn't any more documentation of prophets writing any words down. So you have some ancient historical records written during this time that indicate that the nation as a whole was They they were waiting on God. God hadn't spoken in 400 years. God hadn't had anything written in 400 years. Mm -hmm. So there was an anticipation that something was coming forth, that someone was coming on the scene, Mm -hmm. that there needed to be a fulfillment or a conclusion to what the Old Testament was
1: building up towards. Right. Okay, so from Genesis to Malachi, as we have it in our Old Testament, we see God revealing himself... Um, the words of God being recorded, they're being written down. And by the way, this was never questioned. Like the Jewish community, um, God clearly and divinely orchestrated this in a way that these books were accepted and it was there was no um, rejection, there was no tension, there was no dissension within the people. Fair to say? Oh, no, that's absolutely right. Okay, right. So all of the Jewish community affirmed this. Why... Uh, why then? So we would all affirm Genesis to Malachi, the Old Testament. There's not much dispute about that. But then you have these other these other historical books. What makes uh, First and Second Maccabees, or First and Second Esdras, or um, the Wisdom of Solomon, or some of these other books um, that are included in the Catholic Bible? I think we need to uh, we can't hide from that. The Catholic Bible includes these books called the Apocrypha. Why would we not affirm them? What 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 about that? What about those books keeps them from being part of the canon?
0: Right. I, I mean, I think there's probably a handful of things mm-hmm. or a handful of points that we could uh, bring up here quickly. Um, I, I think the first and the primary one goes back to what we've been saying with a succession of prophets. These books do not have uh, the qualities of being written by a prophet, but also. The Jewish community as a whole knew that there weren't any prophets around. And if there weren't any prophets around, they knew that God wasn't revealing authoritative, sufficient scriptural documents. When
1: you've seen a prophet proclaim the word of God, you know what it's like to to see the and, and clear difference, th- obviously. And so when you have somebody who's writing something down, but you don't have that voice crying out when I, the Isaiah or the Ezekiel or the Hosea is not there proclaiming God's word, but also giving demonstration as the prophets often did. Um, yeah. Where is this authority coming from? Like they're looking around. So, so the Jewish community never fully embraced these books, right? Like they, they're important books. They're, useful books uh, one writer who Jerome Jerome said that they are books of the church but they're not books of the canon. Right. Like they're they're written to to help kind of bridge the gap in those 400 silent years. They're historical books. Sure. They're useful, but they're not scripture. Right. They they don't have the quality of being a biblical book.
0: Yeah, and, and one of the criteria that they wouldn't meet or one of the qualities that they would not have would be the fact that there are some uh, portions of those uh texts That just flat out contradict with what was previously written. Remember, we said that that was a criteria, Deuteronomy 13, Deuteronomy 18, that prophets, as they wrote and as they spoke, would not contradict what was previously said. God cannot contradict
1: himself. Of course. Yeah, that and you're yeah, you're exactly right. There's there's doctrinal and even some historical it can, sure. inconsistencies within right. some of these books, right? So like there are things outside of the canon which would say that's that's not right, that's not accurate. We can't be confident in that. And so the the character and the nature of the books themselves um, they're kind of self-defeating, sure, right? And and so we see that the the Jews never fully embrace them. Uh, we see that there's... yeah, that was good.
0: Self-defeating, yeah, they, they are the internal evidence exactly.
1: Yeah, yeah, and so yeah, the Jews never accept them. There's doctrinal and historical inconsistencies, and then I think a third kind of nail in the coffin is that these are never referenced or highlighted in the New Testament, right? <laughs> Right? Clap it up over there. That, yes. There's
0: what does Jesus and the apostles, what do they think about it?
1: Right. They have nothing to say in terms of biblical inspiration being attached to them. They never right? quote from them. Ever. They never
0: allude to them. They never mention them. In fact, Jesus, I think, bookends the Old Testament canon when he talks about in the Gospel of Luke um, from the blood of uh it's, it's talking in, oh gosh, I can't remember the chapter now.
1: Well, it's on you because yeah, I this, this I, is, I, is this on is me. This your thing.
0: Yeah, I'm going to have to turn to this, but it talks about from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah. Mm. Um, and what he does there in that particular uh, statement or in that particular verse, he talks about the first person killed, which would be Abel. Genesis chapter 4, mm-hmm. Abel. And then he talks about Zechariah, die, Zechariah being killed and um, in, in the book of second or the book of Chronicles, which is key because in the Hebrew order of That's the right. Old Testament scripture, Chronicles is the last book. So That's Jesus right. talks about the first and the last death, Genesis and Chronicles book ending what should be contained in uh, that particular text.
1: That's Luke 1151. Oh, I was one. OK, 1151,
0: 11, 1151.
1: 11, I, I can verify that that is indeed what the text says. Okay. From the blood uh, of Abel to the blood of Zechariah. How about that? There it is. But yes, you're exactly right. Um, there's, there's a... The, the Hebrew canon ends with the book of Chronicles, and these historical books that or these apocryphal books that come after Chronicles are not included in that. So yes... There's no New Testament affirmation Confirmation Whereas all the other books of the Old Testament are found either in direct quotation or an allusion in the New Testament. So the the New Testament speaks to the authority of the Old, and the canon of the Old is accepted when Jesus speaks. He, he references the Law and the Prophets, as we've talked about. He has um, no
0: problem with it.
1: And we, we even spoke about this in a previous episode, that Jesus is never re- rejecting the authority or the inspiration, but rather the interpretation of these passages, right? When he deals with... Um, you have heard it said, but I say to you. he He's rejecting the Pharisaical interpretation of the Old Testament right. law and saying, you misunderstood, but I'm telling you more clearly now, this is what it means.
0: Yeah, the New Testament writers themselves never quote or allude back right. to the, the Apocrypha. And, you know, we throw the Pharisees under the bus a lot, but they uh, w- were affirming the same text.
1: That's right. They, they were affirming the Old Testament canon only. Right. So, so... I think it's a, I think it's fair for us to say like the Old Testament the New Testament we reject the Apocrypha, and that's fine. We can read the Apocrypha. You can. Stu- I personally never have, but I know men who do and, and study it and l- glean some things from it, but it's not scriptural. You sure. can't build theology or doctrine based on those books.
0: Yeah, read it as a historical book. Right, just like that, you would that, the that, that, account of Josephus. Absolutely. Or,
1: right? Um, I, I do think it's worth noting uh, before we transition to the New Testament, why does the Catholic Church include the Apocrypha? Well, I, I think there's, there's two reasons. One, it was included in Latin uh, in Jerome's Latin translation, um, known as the, the the Vulgate, and that became the standard text of the Catholic Church. And so, over the course of time, it was it was not included in there as scripture, but Jerome translated it because he thought that that would be a help a helpful tool, right, well, 1500 For fifteen hundred
0: years, it, it was never viewed right. as being on par with. Scripture. Right,
1: but over the course of time, because it was attached to that translation, people began to kind of say, "Well, maybe this is included," and that kind of thing. And then there are there are doctrinal statements that can be twisted in a way that builds some Catholic theology sure. that we would reject, right? Um, and we'll we'll address it at a later time. But I know that there might be somebody who has a, a, a Bible in their house. That has the apocrypha in it because that's the one that their their parents gave them and they're that's all they've known. And we would say that there's a reason why it was included, but it's not a valid reason. And we need to be careful and distinguish between those. Right. right? A- Fair abso- to say. A- absolutely. Okay. So we've made it to the time of Christ. We've gotten to the Old Testament. Now, now the fun begins. Right. Now we gotta now we gotta figure out the New Testament canon how does this process take place like the we would um, just by way of simplifying this we would say all these books are written in the first century um, uh, and, and I'm sure we'll come back to that but you've got the Gospels that are written immediately after Jesus's life and then you've got Paul's letters and and the writings of Peter and John and and uh, Jude and Hebrews and so so how does how do we begin to put this thing together what does that look like
0: yeah typically when I begin this, Uh, category, bibliology, canon of scripture, in class, uh, when we start talking about the New Testament, um, we we normally start in John chapter 14, really you could back up John 13 through 16, the the upper room uh, discourse when Jesus is commissioning uh, the disciples um, to be his witnesses. He's telling them about the Holy Spirit that will come a few weeks after that and he, he, he says that he is going to bring to remembrance everything that I have said, um, the things that I um, have said, you will now be able to record and document. And um, I, I I mean, I, I think that it is ultimately birthed out of that conversation mm-hmm. uh, that the apostles are going to be the ones to preach and teach Christ, but the ones to also document mm-hmm. Christ.
1: Right, right. So these documents begin to be um, circulated, they begin to be, well, they're written first and they're written for specific audiences, but then they begin to be circulated, right? So, so Luke writes his gospel for Theophilus and he's dealing with a particular audience there, but the gospel of Luke doesn't just go to one person. It's copied. It's expanded. Why, why are they doing this?
0: Well, again, they, un- they understood who the apostles were. Mm-hmm. If an apostle didn't write the new testament documented it was an associate of an apostle like mm-hmm. Luke would be mm-hmm. uh, for example uh, they they knew that the apostles had been authorized by Christ and the right. apostles themselves are concluding uh, the, the the central theme of the of the gospel message the writing about Christ and are documenting those things in identical ways in which the old testament was what well, yeah. was brought forth right
1: right and so th- the The gospel begins to spread, um, and with the spread of the gospel comes, as you mentioned, the spread of the authoritative word of God with it. So as these churches are being planted, Paul goes to um, Philippi, and he has his ministry there, and he sees conversions, and he starts this church, and then... Years later, he would write to them. Right? He he plants the church in Corinth, and he writes to them, and he's he's giving them instruction because he can't be there. But as he's writing these instructions, I think he understands that he is writing divinely inspired words, and he begins to tell these churches share this document. Um, and in fact, in Colossians chapter four, I love this at the end of his con- the conclusion of his letter. He says, "And when this letter has been read among you, so after you have read this letter aloud to the congregation." Make sure it's also read in the Church of the Laodiceans and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. So there's, he, there's a letter that had been written to the Laodiceans. There's a uh, letter that's written to the Colossians. And he says share that with one another. You need to see it. You need to be, and so the copies are made, they're collected together, and they're spread around to these churches and to these congregations and to these pockets of believers so that they have access to the divinely inspired Word of God. Right, right. right.
0: Yeah, I'm. you know, Paul's writing to the churches of Galatia. Right, um, right. Even... I think there's a little debate on uh, his epistle to the Ephesians On whether or not that that was a circulatory letter Mm -hmm. In other words, it probably wasn't written directly to them only But it was a... A general letter that was right. meant to be copied and circulated and passed there, along. There to are the some other that churches. believe that
1: perhaps the the letter that we have for Ephesians was actually the letter to the Laodiceans. Right. You know, there are right. some that, that would claim that. You right. You mentioned the circular nature of the Galatian letters, but even the you know, James or uh, Peter, the Jews of the 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 diaspora, yep. the diaspora like.
0: I just pulled up First Peter. Thanks for taking that. Go ahead. No, yeah, no, you're I'm, good. No, yeah, no, no.
1: So, so I, uh, the point is that these. Um, these these documents were intended to be circulated. They were intended to spread with the good news of Christ. And so over the course of time, they're right. collected together um, and they are sent out to these other um, locations where they're all gathered together.
0: Yeah, I think a great example of that, one of the ones I always like to use is in Revelation chapter 2 and 3. Remember, John is writing the book of Revelation. He, John doesn't write and make seven copies of Revelation. That's right. He has one autographic text, and he sends it to those seven churches that are listed in chapter 2 and 3. And, and what I'm getting at is he sends it to the first church, which is Ephesus, and then once Ephesus reads what is directly written to them, he then sends it to the next church, which would be Smyrna, and then so on and so forth. So in other words, Ephesus would receive the book of Revelation. They would copy it. Then they would send it to the next church. And if you actually follow Revelation 2 and 3, it actually follows an ancient postal route wow. um, along one of the major roads during the ancient world. So it would have circulated easy, actually, mm-hmm. easy after John had written it and probably sent it to Ephesus.
1: Right. Right. Um, I did not know that. That's really cool. Yeah. Um, Gosh, that's really good. Um, So, okay, so these letters begin to circulate. Um, We we start to see the collection of the documents that are put together as we recognize. These churches would recognize, oh, have you seen Paul's letter um, to the Colossians? Well, yeah, that goes really well with what he had written earlier um, to the Galatians. And we can oh, think about what Luke has written in his gospel and then the book of Acts. And so they start to collect these documents, right? They put them together. But how do we actually get to the point where we are now? Because h- how do we distinguish between these 27 books and perhaps um, some other documents that have shown up in history that, like, f- uh, the first one that comes to mind, the classic example is like the Gospel of Thomas, right? right? Like this this uh, supposed fifth missing gospel that has come up in, in recent historical searches. How, how do we respond to that? How do we get to these four Gospels and these four only or these 27 and these 27 only. Right. Let's speak to that.
0: Well, there was a a general understanding that uh, the new Testament documents had to be written by an apostle or an associate and, every New Testament book can account for that.
1: Is that because of what you mentioned earlier in John 13 to 16? Yeah, absolutely. Is that, where, is that why we started there? Yeah, that, yeah. That, that is
0: attached back to Jesus giving them the authority to do so. And I, I would also argue that Jesus also gives them the power to perform miracles as even more validation for mm. these Specific people; these individuals are the spokespersons of Christ. Now that He has gone, He has sent the Spirit um, to take His place, and, and now these particular guys are the ones that are are doing what we see in the Book of Acts. So it has to have apostolic authority, or at okay. least attached to apostolic authority. It has to be written um, during the apostolic age. So which,
1: apostles aren't around today. Sure, you're not, you're not, you're, not Apostle Lance.
0: Uh, yeah, I'm, I am not the Apostle Lance. Um. Yeah. So it had to be written during the apostolic age, which uh, we would say would roughly be A.D. thirty to A.D. ninety-six or ninety-seven, mm, whenever John, John died. Yeah, whenever John died. So, um, ju- just speaking on those two, anything written in the second century, anything written in the third century, already doesn't meet that criteria, quote mm-hmm. unquote, mm-hmm. W- and would therefore be rejected as inspired scripture. Now you sure that can be a historical document, you know, whatever right, whatever. Right. But they already fall out of the lines of right. all the other New Testament documents.
1: Yeah. And and on top of that, so you, that that is the most centralized um, criterion that we need to understand is that it has to be attached to an apostolic uh, authority. Yeah, like that, attached. It, it has he. to be attached, right? Yes. Like okay, um a Paul, a, a letter from Paul, written by the hand of an apostle. Right. Well, you've mentioned Luke. Well, how does Luke Luke's not an apostle? Sure.
0: Yeah. How, how does he get? Yeah. How does his work. Get uh, uh, in? Luke, Luke is validated in the Book of Acts because, you know, you get to the we sections mm. of the Book of Acts, and he is he is on the front lines with Paul on missionary journeys. So
1: he's attached to Paul.
0: Yeah. Second Timothy four, he is with Paul in prison. So okay. That's where we would, right. You know, have confidence and, in Luke.
1: And the same thing with Mark, right? Like Mark is a te- Mark is the gospel that is most closely associated with the work of Peter, right? Right, like like Peter well, and Mark are.
0: Very closely associated, yeah they're the second century writers that basically say that the Gospel of Mark is the memoirs of Peter that's a,
1: yeah that's and and that so we see that even if an apostle didn't write it with his own hand, if there's an attachment or a connection or a validation that comes from the apostle, then it has apostolic authority attached to yeah. it
0: and and here here's the key on that is that the churches they 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 all accepted these things universally. Mm. It was going to be my next point. Oh, you know, okay. No, well, go, no, go. Yeah. Go. So not only did it have to be written by an apostle in the apostolic age, but there ha- had to be a universal acceptance. In other words, if there was a 97% rejection of this particular document, well, clearly under the sovereignty and the preservation of mm-hmm. God's word, th- th- there's a... That's a red flag to me.
1: Right, of course. Well, you you said it, you, you hit on it, that there was a universal acceptance, there was a universal um, understanding and agreement um, be- So that in such a way that there was no um, limited or private or special attachment. Like if if we're this church in Smyrna, we can't say, (laughs) well, we've got a document that you guys would love to have. (laughs) Uh Yeah, we would love you would love to have this. And we've got all the biblical revelation and you don't. Like that would never happen. If they did have biblical revelation, it would have been shared. It would have been and circulated. And had that been the case, and other um, communities affirmed, this is indeed we can verify this came from an apostle. This is indeed and inspired. This does line up with other biblical revelation, no. which is the next category. Yeah, of orthodoxy. Right, no. it has to be orthodox.
0: Yeah. Does this line up with what was previously said?
1: Yes. If it doesn't. It can't be part of the canon because, because that's not God. Exactly. God can't contradict himself. We've said that before about the inerrancy, the consistency um, of Scripture itself. And so these things, it had to be attached to an apostle. It had to be uh, used and verified by the church. It had to be consistent and orthodox with the rest of Scripture. And, and then I think finally you're dealing with a group of people who have the Holy Spirit, Right? And like there's a discernment, there's a sovereign God factor here where God has given the church the ability to understand and to um, recognize this is like my sheep hear my voice, Jesus says. Well, when the Christian, the new believer, or the seasoned believer hears the word of God, they know it, they understand it. And they are transformed by it. Of course, of course. And, And that's, and so they're. And they're trained. They're trained to reject or to have a, a red flag that goes up when there is something that's off kilter, if it's deviated, right? So, so God has um, built in to the believer and to the collective church as a whole a safeguard by means of the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in that way right so I I also think just to kind of wrap that section up is is we have to understand that there was no individual criterion by itself which says this if you have this you're in if you don't have this you're out it was it was all of those things it had to be all of those things if it was not written by an apostle but it was associated with an apostle it was agreed upon by the church it was consistent it was Orthodox and okay we can affirm this but just because Paul has a a document that is written that doesn't necessarily mean it's scripture, right? Oh,
0: sure. Like, yeah.
1: If, what if Paul had you? You mentioned in our uh, previous episode, Paul's writing to the Romans. He's got this letter he's written out, and he gets word back that, or uh, how about the Corinthians? He's writing to the Corinthians, and he gets word back that they've got an incestuous situation going on there. And so he he takes this original writing and he wads it up and tosses it in the trash can. And he starts over. Well, what if somebody unfolds it and starts passing that other one around right right. like that was written by paul sure but that that's not it that doesn't fit the other criterion
0: yeah right? yeah I and mean, i'm i'm glad you brought that up because if you read through first and second corinthians you, you will ah, come, you, you will come across paul talking about other letters that he wrote yeah he, uh, he so, wrote what at least 4 yeah so the biblical first and second corinthians that that we have in our canon in reality, are probably second and fourth mm-hmm. Corinthians, which means that Paul did write other letters to that church, and, and you know, for all we know, Paul wrote letters constantly to mm-hmm. maybe hundreds of churches right. throughout. You know, it his, wouldn't surprise us. Yeah, his decades of ministry. Um, that doesn't mean that he was writing false doctrine. That doesn't mean that he was writing heretical. Uh, you know, theology Mm -hmm. or whatnot, but the documents that God authorized for the canon of scripture, the ones that he wanted us to have are, are are, are the ones that we are the ones that we have. I, I do not think that we will all of a sudden discover, you know, a sixth letter written to the Corinthians and just place that in the canon of scripture. Okay. Um, in 2021, or whenever that you know. Okay, so
1: just for the hypothetical game, let me let me ask that. Let let me ask that question. What if we found First and Third Corinthians, and we have Second and Fourth? If we were to find those documents, could could we or should we add that to the canon? What would I? I personally don't think it'll ever happen. But let's say we did. What what would you say to that? How would you respond to that?
0: Yeah, of course this is hypothetical. Of course, yeah, this is,
1: is a hypothetical. But does that? Why? Why would yeah. we say no?
0: Yeah, my 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 issue with that with with that would be, a, It's hard to bring in a couple of illustrations here, in the limited time that we have left. <laughs> but but I would say that the, if, if we did find an another document of Paul, if we did find another document of Paul, I would hesitate on including that in an updated canon of scripture, because I don't think that there is. Uh, manuscript evidence throughout the centuries afterwards that would support that document mm. um, in its existence.
1: Right, um, right.
0: So in the other illustration I was going to mention and then not going to mention, but now I'm going <laughs> to mention, like for the, the Gospel of Thomas, for example, which was written a couple hundred years after the time of Jesus and the apostles. Well, first off, it contradicts Scripture, mm-hmm. but there are only a couple, maybe two or three, Copies or two or three documents in comparison to the 25,000 New Testament documents that we have. So I know we're talking on hypothetical terms here. Um, but but I just wouldn't include well
1: yeah I mean think about
0: sixth Corinthians yeah, into the canon think
1: about but think about the even the biblical or even the New Testament canonical process it had to be accepted and used right in all of these churches right if we had said that the church in Smyrna had that special revelation it would almost be like the church of twenty twenty says hey we've got revelation that nobody else has and it would suggest that biblical the biblical canon was insufficient for two thousand years. Right. And we would say this we is just we talked just about carried, that. we just we just a- addressed this issue in our previous episode and we would say that because all of systematic is consistent, it has to be cohesive and it reflects the same god that it would suggest that the bible was insufficient and was lacking something um, for 2000 years right, of history right? right and we would we would just categorically reject it yeah that. we reject now, that. now we can we can play the hypothetical game and i could i i don't know but i could you could probably come up with some kind of situation where i would say you know what that made me scratch my head a little bit but it's hypothetical but the the point we want to make is that God has preserved his word and has given us the biblical canon that he so desired and has his um, divine authorship upon. And we can, we can be confident that that canon is enough. Yeah,
0: that's good. Right. The, there's so much left unsaid. Yeah, of, I of mean, course. We're, we're, we'll have to come back around, circle back around and revisit yeah, and, canon.
1: And if you've got questions, like what, what would you want us to unpack a little bit more? Um, what, what, what did we not speak clearly on? Um, what other hypotheticals? Yeah. What <laughs> other hypotheticals can we? What rabbit trails can we go down? Um, but but yeah, I mean, w- we probably need to wrap this up. Yeah. So, so what, what
0: what do you got for the informants initiative today?
1: Oh, because man. there's a lot. There's there's so much with this. I I keep coming back to this, and and so this is where I'm going to go now. That the I would say that my takeaway, my initiative for today. Would be that we can have confidence that you and I, when we open up our Bibles, we can trust that the canon, that the books, the 66 books that we have in Scripture, are the 66 books that God intended, and we can we can trust that on the same basis that we can trust that the Bible is inspired, it's inerrant, it's infallible, it's been preserved, and that is because God is sovereign over his revelation, that God has preserved his word, that he has um, ensured that we would have access to his revelation. And so we know um, with confidence that the Bible, the biblical canon that we have today is how God has chosen to preserve it for us. Right. So that's, we know, even though I, I, I know the questions, I know the, the um, arguments against, but they don't mean anything to me because i trust god and that in and of itself um gives me um confidence that the that the biblical canon is in fact um the books that god has desired for us right.
0: to right yeah i'll just add two little sub points to w- w- what you had going there one w- we can trust god on the internal evidence of the scripture the, the scripture uh, attests of the scripture in, in other words the, the best um, evidence for the Scripture is the Scripture itself, that That's Jesus right. says the Scripture cannot be broken in, in John chapter 10, uh, I think it is. So internally speaking, uh, the books supply the evidence for themselves. But then I would also add, externally speaking, if we actually do the research, if we actually do the study, if we actually do the um study of manuscripts and the study of copying yeah. and preservation and, and and all of those things that many scholars have spent yes. their entire lives yes. doing if we actually look into that as well we will see that there is overwhelming evidence that these books are indeed the books
1: yeah that's yeah that's awesome
0: just just like Ezra says the, the, bring us the book this this is the book
1: and we can trust that. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, hey, if you're not doing so already, make sure you're subscribing to our podcast on iTunes and to our YouTube channel. We Also, also be sure to like us on Facebook at Reformed Informants and follow us on Instagram and Twitter at r underscore informants.
0: If you have any questions or suggestions for topics of discussion or maybe even some more hypotheticals, feel free to email us at reformedinformants at gmail.com.